Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, let's get right back to the phones. Joining us as he does every week at this time, one of our favorite contributors, well-rounded into so many aspects of the outdoors. You see him on Facebook. You see him on other social media. You've seen him on my TV shows, and he's here every Saturday. Nate Zielinski, good morning. Good morning, Terry. I like that intro. That was a good one. <laughs> yeah, you know, every now and then I kind of like you. So, uh, <laughs> uh. No, you've been doing this a long time. You are a great resource, my friend, and a lot of different things. I know you want to talk hunting, but before I let you go, if we don't run out of time, uh, we had a question about walleyes. I'm going to ask you that was texted in during the show. But big game hunting. Um, in the next segment, we're going to actually talk about picking out a rifle. But whether you're archery or rifle or muzzle loader, it's time to be getting ready, isn't it? Absolutely, Terry. You know, I mean, I would say that we started this conversation a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, you could flirt with the idea that maybe it was a little too early and maybe it's just for the people that really want to be prepared um, or out there. But where we're at now... You know, and in you know, approaching the second week of July, it really is time, 100%, no matter what. Um, you know, on the gear side, we keep talking about that. We have less supplies out there. The retailers, um, you know, are sold out of so many things, so it's time to get prepared for that because it might take time. But more so, now we're into the hardcore scouting aspect. I mean, if you really think about it, even though it might seem early, you know, your sheep and goat seasons um, are literally starting here in less than a month. Your pronghorn archery season is 30 days away. Um, so we are into it. I mean, it is that time. Um, and then obviously, I think more than anything, we probably, we haven't discussed this, but we probably are approaching one of the more successful hunting seasons that we've had in many, many years here in Colorado. Um, and that's going to be for a couple of reasons. Number one, we're kind of on a new format for dates. Colorado Parks and Wildlife changed some things up. They changed, you know, the third season rifle. Uh, they changed archery, but they pushed the seasons later. This is one of those things that the average hunter, I would say, has been begging and pleading for for years and years. Um, you know, the, the average archery hunter, you know, normally our season starts, you know, like third week uh, of August, you know, or that last week of August when we're starting that season and then wrapping up, you know, towards, uh, the, you know, the end of the third week of September. And we always wish we had a couple more days, you know, so if the rut is late, we have more time, or at least once the harems are built, the bulls will be extremely vocal. Um, and we always wish we had more time. Well, this year we have that time. Um, um, so the archery seasons are later. You're going to hunt all the way until the end of September, um, which those final days are going to be pretty epic hunting. Um, so we have a later season. Then even the, the fourth rifle uh, is going to be later than it has been in years. Um, and even next year, it's going to continue to get later. With that being said, everybody that has those later rifle hunts, are now going to have by far a better opportunity at a deer rut. So those mule deer rut, it's going to be in full swing. We're normally we're just on the, the beginning half of it. Uh, this year we're going to have a lot more of that rut activity, so that is huge. Um, and even the wintering bulls, we're going to have more wintry conditions, hopefully being later date. Um, which is going to push those bigger bulls, even the number of bulls, you know, kind of through their winter migration-ish, uh, you know, type pattern. So, again, I think the opportunity in this coming hunting season is going to be greater than we've ever had. So more the reason to prepare for it, to scout for it. Then you kind of throw the, the additional kicker on there, and this is like asking the, the most loaded question in the world, but 
everybody wants to know, hey, when are the elk going to rut? You know, and you can talk to the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. You can talk to hunters worldwide. Everybody's got their theory. Hey, it's a moon cycle thing. It's a temperature thing. It's just a genetic thing in nature, um, whatever. You know, you talk to me, and I hate to say it, but I, I kind of have my theory on it. And my biggest thing is, you know, dry grass. If you have really green, growing grass, tons of moist conditions, those animals tend to, you know, Mother Nature selling them the foods here, keep eating. Um, you know, it's usually when that grass dies off, when you start seeing those fall temperatures. That's to me, generally speaking, the sign when I see these animals starting to rut early. If I track the last 20 years, you know, 10 years as a guide and 10 years just hardcore hunting, um, the years that we have drought style conditions, warm summers, our grass is not as in good of shape. When we start seeing that grass die off early, generally speaking, it's at least one of the signs that our rut kind of comes at least normal and or possibly just slightly early. Um, And I would say right now we are lining up for those conditions. Things are starting to get pretty dry up in the high country. Again, our grass is obviously alive and thriving, but I do think it's going to have a a somewhat of an early effect on the grass. Uh, And I am right now planning and anticipating um, at least an on-time and or slightly early rut. So it's really lining up to be an epic season. So get out there, scout, find animals, do your research, build the education, and take advantage of what might be one of the bigger seasons that we've had here in a while. Well, another take on what you were talking about, drought conditions, not the rut even so much, is the fact that we've had some rainy years over the last couple years with moisture, and it disperses those animals with the limited water they may have this year. We don't know if we're going to get a lot of rain going in yet. It could make scouting and locating animals a lot different because of the water too, right? Absolutely, for sure. And, you know, I mean, you can use it to your advantage in a lot of situations, but you have to build the pattern. So, for example, you know, last year we had a lot of moisture getting towards uh, the beginning of that pronghorn archery season to where a lot of guys scouted out water holes. They were prepared, and we had enough moisture in July and August where all of a sudden water holes were popping up everywhere to where the average guy hunting a water hole, the pronghorns had, you know, 10, 15 choices of where to drink. And even though there's slightly more pattern on one, they had options of others, um, which made those waterhole hunts, you know, not that it was harder. You just had to spend more time to where normally you might be able to hunt one or two days. You might have had to put a weekend to, to have that chance at a pronghorn coming into that waterhole. Um, on years like this where, it, where there's more drought, where there's less water, you're going to have more opportunity of finding that one good water hole. And obviously you're going to have a lot more animals utilizing it. So you can use the drought to your advantage. Same type thing on elk. Um, you know, if all of a sudden you have a ton of water, you have water holes everywhere, you have wallows everywhere, you have creeks flowing everywhere, they can drink everywhere. So like you said, they will disperse, um, you know, in smaller groups because there's water everywhere. When you have that lack of water, all of a sudden you're going to get more migration from the animals to where a normal day the elk might move, you know, a couple hundred yards or a half mile from their bedding grounds, to their feeding grounds, to their water hole. When you have lacking water, they're going to go further. So their, their distance from the water to the feed to the bedding areas will be greater, which keeps them on their feet longer, allowing you to have more available time to scout them and then come hunting season, more time to hunt them. So that drought situation, even though it's dry and crunchy, um, you know, sometimes it's hot, which, you know, limits the time uh, you have to hunt these animals. Sometimes it can actually increase your opportunity because the animals are moving around more and they're not so secluded to a very tight pocket of their daily migration. So, again, more reason that I think this hunting season is really going to be a good one. 
Yeah, I think we're headed for a good hunting season. I think that uh, one wild card that none of us know how it's going to affect anything is there's going to be more hunters out there, license applications. Well, at least more in-state hunters. I haven't heard the uh, I haven't heard the numbers for out-of-state hunters. So you might have to um, put in a little more boot work to find out where you're going to hunt and make sure. I think it's going to be really critical this year to have some backup spots, don't you? Absolutely. You know, I mean, in every situation, every hunting season, when I scout. You know, I can go out there today, find my animals. I actually scouted this morning, uh, you know, find animals. And everybody gets so excited. They find the animals, find patterns. Um, I take that same situation. I kind of build zones or levels. I say, hey, that animal right now is, you know, X, Y, Z from from my starting point, whether I'm hiking or, you know, driving or whatever. Um, And I'll say, if that animal gets blown out, where is he going to go? Where's the next available spot? where that animal can find food bedding water. You know, where is he going to go if something does pressure that animal? And I almost build layers where I say, hey, this is zone one. This is the, the ideal spot. But if he leaves here, you know, maybe the next spot is, instead of two miles in, maybe it's four miles in. But I scout that as well. I kind of prepare myself to where, hey, you know, this is an easy access spot. You know, it's too good to be true. When these animals get pushed, where are they going to go? And I, I kind of build those patterns. Even though there might not be animals there, I want to know where the bedding grounds is. I want to know where the where those you know elite pockets of water are. Just so as things change in the hunting season, I can adapt very quickly uh, to accommodate that and, and stay on top of those animals and create that success. So that's a huge one. And then, you know, right now, scouting-wise, our animals, especially, you know, the, the males, your deer, your elk, um, your moose, they now have enough antler growth to where we can really judge maturity. Now, I'm not saying this is just for the trophy hunter. I mean, a lot of people hear me talk about, you know, giant antlers, and they think I'm just trophy hunting. But the biggest thing right now, I can really start to break down the harems in my head. So, I mean, I went out the other day, and I had a summering group of cows and calves that was hundreds of animals. Now, those animals are not going to stay in a massive group of, of 100, 200, 300 come hunting season. They're going to break down into smaller harems. So as I'm overlooking bulls, I'll look at, you know, a big hillside. Maybe it's got two or three drainages in it. And I'm going to look at those bulls. I'm going to say, hey, I, you know, amongst the, the 15 bulls that I can find, how many of those are mature? How many of them are going to hold a harem? How many of them are going to be satellite bulls? How many of them are, are immature bulls? But you can start to break it down to where you know how things are going to unfold. So you can say, hey, this is only going to be one group of elk. So, you know, I'm putting a lot of my eggs in one basket. Or if you can say, hey, I think, you know, another month or so when they start, you know, getting some, some hormones flowing, it's going to break up into six different groups. That's going to be an ideal opportunity because you're going to have a lot of different animals to chase. So while I'm scouting now, again, I'm looking for animals. I'm doing my best to judge maturity level. Of, hey, that's a very dominant bull. That's a, you know, a mid bull. That's a very immature bull. Then I'm looking for, again, for, for bedding areas, where they're bedding, looking for where they're feeding, what type of grass are they feeding on, where's those elite water holes. You build all that intel, and everything just flows so much easier this coming hunting season. No, I agree. Real quick, I, we haven't got much time, but I want to change up. We had a, uh, somebody on the text line that wanted to know about what type of a rod we would recommend for trolling bottom bouncers with braided line. I have my idea, but why don't you give us your, your thoughts on that? Yeah, so, you know, when it comes to, to live bait rigging like that, you have so many options, and uh, a lot of people are either guide, you know, going guide with me or live bait rigging. I tend to avoid the bouncers, and I run a smaller rig. So I'm running uh, a small cannonball rig, so half-ounce to one-ounce cannonball weight, 
four feet of line to a smaller weighted system. So I can run that on a spinning rod. I want a lot of load rate. So I want a slightly slower action rod so I can really sweep the rod to give the fish the chance to take that bait. So I don't want a fast action rod. So for me, all my live bait rigging and that type, you know, slow trolling, control trolling, I'm using a seven foot three inch rod. I'm using like a medium power, but you know, a fast to moderate bin, just so when that fish takes the bait, I can do a sweeping hook set. It's going to land a lot of fish for me. So that's my take on that, that general rig right there. But again, I'm not pulling a lot of bouncers. I'm a little bit smaller to find on the live bait rigs. Well, when I wrote some articles for In Fisherman on this, um, I did a lot of testing of rods with bottom bouncers. And the biggest mistake, one of the things you said with a, a rod that has some give, was people trying to set the hook too soon or setting it all. A lot of times just the action of the boat. Most people, when they set the hook on a bottom bouncer, pull the bait away. So I went. For, I used bait casters because I was pulling about two-ounce bottom bouncers during this test period. And we used. I used about seven to seven-and-a-half-foot fiberglass rods so they had actually a more of a parabolic bend and you could see them load up and give the fish a time to take the bait and turn in a medium action and uh, then i put braid on a on a bait caster but i think both of those are great great uh, options nate we are way out of time we've got anything coming up real quick yeah, absolutely. We got catch rate next Wednesday. So again, tell your friends, come to Chatfield next Wednesday, catch rate. It's an unbelievable experience. You go to our Facebook page to learn more about it. Uh, and yeah, we'd love to see you there. And other than that, get out, scout and take advantage of it, find some animals and uh, we'll be back next weekend. All right. Nate Zielinski, Tightline Outdoors on Facebook, tightlineoutdoors.com. And he's all over the internet. Thank you, my friend. We're going to take you. a quick Talk time out. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, the hunting department at Jack's Outdoors is going to join us, and we're going to talk choosing a rifle for a first-time or new hunter right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Uh, just bringing fun to people for 65 years. Uh, stop by one of their five outdoor stores up and down the Front Range in Cheyenne. By the way, before I go to our Jack's Outdoor Gear segment here, the fellow that called about the walleye trolling rods, I will try to address that a little more at the end of the show if we have time. But I do have a video on my, my YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, that gets pretty in-depth on how to fish bottom bouncers. In fact, the episode is titled Bottom Bouncer Techniques. It was filmed at Pueblo Reservoir. Take a look at that. It'll give you a lot of information. Now it is time for our Jack's Outdoor segment, where the, the folks from Jack's Outdoors join us to talk about a certain aspect of the outdoors and the gear you need to do it. And joining us from Jack's Outdoors, I believe right here in Fort Collins, is Reese Roberts. Good morning, Reese. Good morning, Terry. How are you? I'm doing great. It's a beautiful day, and we've been... We've been talking about getting ready for hunting, and after this segment, we're going to talk about how to practice and finalize the sighting in of your weapons and even your shotguns getting ready. Uh, people may think it's the middle of July and it's 100 degrees, but hunting season isn't very far away, and we're going to have a lot of new hunters this year, and uh, we're also getting a lot of demand for hunting gear, not only firearms and ammunition, but gear in general. So it's going to be a year where you really need to start making these decisions early, isn't it? Oh, yes. Um, we're definitely seeing that increase in first-time hunters and first-time firearm purchases. Uh, so right now, pretty much nationwide, there is kind of a, a limited 
selection for some time. So the sooner you can get on top of trying to get stuff purchased or get stuff um, ready, the, the better you're going to be in the long run. So I'm I'm a beginning hunter, or I haven't hunted for years when I was younger. I'm getting back into it. I walk into Jack's. I walk up to you, and I say, hey, I want to go hunting for this, this, or this. Take me through the process, how you're going to help me pick out a rifle. Um, so a lot of times, like you said, we'll focus on what they are planning on hunting. If they're strictly going for small game, if they're just doing waterfowl, we'll kind of steer them into some certain directions but if somebody is just getting into hunting where they're going to go after the the large animals in colorado meaning antelope mule deer and elk uh, we kind of steer them into some of their rifles depending on kind of what they're looking for if they're looking for something not too expensive just something entry level if they have a certain budget we'll try to give them a few options around that and um, a lot of us in the hunting department have had a lot of experience with different rifles so for most of the rifles we carry we have first-hand knowledge of how they actually feel things we like things we don't like um, so we just try to give them a bunch of different options let them feel let them try to shoulder the weapons to see how they're going to feel comfortable behind them and then we'll just kind of walk them through the benefits of each one of them now for action hunting in colorado is uh is unique and hunting in every location of the country is unique. What type of a rifle action do you recommend for most hunters in Colorado? For most hunters in Colorado, we lean more towards a bolt action. Um, it's just going to be a little bit more reliable, a little bit simpler, um, as well as more accurate in general. Um, I mean, you can definitely get some very high-end semi-autos or lever guns, um, but for hunting in Colorado, the majority of people are using bolt guns. And what's the starting point as far as price for a bolt gun? I know in all firearms, you can go up to thousands of dollars, but the reliable starting point, what are we looking at? Um, you can pretty easily find something under four. Um, the Ruger American is a, a great example of that. You can get those right around that 375, 380 range. Um, and then that's just going to be a rifle. So we do kind of the entry-level combo, which would be a rifle and a scope. You're looking right around that five to five and a half um, for a, a really good setup that you'd be really happy with hunting indefinitely. And then I'm sure you have different options and different guns. How important is the fit of that gun and can I adjust it? Yeah. Um, one of the big aspects is making sure that the weapon fits you. Um, there are a variety of people that come in here from smaller kids who just got their first hunting license who are 12 or 13 and they're getting their first rifle to full-size adults to myself being 6'5 like you have to find a weapon that's going to fit you with a lot of these weapons they do come with adjustability so you can adjust the length of pull they'll either have shims that you can put in the stock to make it a little longer or you can take them out to make it a little shorter um, and then when you get into some of the high mid to higher level range a lot of those will have even more adjustability to where you can really get it set for you. And we kind of walk through that process just to make sure that they're going to pick something that's going to be comfortable for them and it's going to fit them correctly. And one of the things I always recommend when buying a firearm is bring in similar clothing to what you're going to wear when you hunt. You come in today, you're probably wearing a T-shirt. You're not going to wear a T-shirt up in the mountains in third rifle elk season. And you're going to have a heavy, heavy jacket on. 
So I think it's very important to at least bring that jacket with because your point of aim is going to be so different. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that, and we, we do see that a lot. Luckily, we also do have uh, hunting clothing here, so there has been occasions where we've pulled jackets right off the shelf to have people try on so that they can kind of feel what it's going to feel like to be wearing multiple layers of clothing when you are at 10,000 feet in third rifle season, and it is very, very cold. Now, what about caliber? This time, I know this, we're having one of those years where ammunition is, and some calibers is short supply. So is it important to get a caliber that I have available ammunition, and what do you recommend? So I think right now is a perfect example of why ammo availability is so important, um, because right now it's really hard to find any ammo. So choosing something that is really common is generally going to be a little bit better. One, it's going to keep that cost down, but also you're going to be able to find a variety of different ammo. For us um, at Jax, we recommend kind of the the old school, most popular calibers, which are 308, 30-06, um, 270, just because of the variety of ammunition that you can get for them, ranging from really low 150 grain bullets all the way up to 180. So you could really take any animal in Colorado with any of those calibers and kind of a, a newer or a starting to get a lot more popular would be something like the 6.5 Creedmoor because pretty much any place that is going to carry rifle ammunition, they're going to have those four in stock and most of the time they'll have a variety of those four in stock. And I'm sure you can recommend the grain weights and the type of dynamics in the bullet, depending on the type of hunting they're due, because there is a lot more to it. One thing I'm sure we're going to talk about with JR at Colorado Clay's next segment is practicing with uh, sighting your rifle in with the ammo you shoot. What about quickly, well, and I'll cover two things very quickly. One is recoil. We talked about, let's say, a .30-06 versus a .270. A .270 is going to have a lot less recoil. It's not going to be probably as hard-hitting as a 30 out six or may, maybe give you quite the distance, but is it a better choice for a young angler or do we have recoil mitigating uh, pads and things that they don't have to worry about that? No, there's definitely ways to mitigate that recoil, um, whether it be a recoil pad that just slips over the stock of the, the rifle and kind of absorbs some of that, but also depending on the weight of the rifle, that'll also affect how much they actually kick a heavier 30 out six is going to kick a little bit less than our super light 270 um, so there's some ways that you can kind of figure out how it's going to recoil just based on the weight of the firearm but then there's also other things that you can add to that like a muzzle brake or something else that's going to kind of redirect where that muzzle blast goes and cut down on some of that felt recoil Last question, and we're really out of time, and I promise you, Jr. I know you're listening. We're going to take plenty of time. I saved a lot of time for you. But one thing I want to talk, and that's the scope. Uh, we used to have a saying in uh, when I was younger that if you, if you only had enough money for one, spend it on the scope and get a less expensive rifle. Um, scopes are really important in Colorado, aren't they? Yeah. Um, with Colorado being really open, the majority of encounters with animals especially during a rifle season are going to be from a little further out so having a good quality scope that gives you the ability to make an ethical shot is really important um, nowadays it's it's getting a little different because they are coming out with really high quality scopes at a reasonable price point um, so that it's kind of skewed that 
saying a little bit just because you can get a really good quality scope for not a crazy amount of money anymore. Is there a brand you like to hunt with? Um, personally, I know um, I run Vortex Optics on most of my firearms just because they have a fantastic warranty program as well as uh, they do some discounts for veterans uh, that I really enjoy. Um, and that's I've gotten my father into the Vortex Optics, so I run them on pretty much everything from my rifles to my varmint guns, everything. If I come into Jack's and buy a rifle and a scope or buy a scope, will you mount it? Yep, yep. So we do uh, a mounting service with uh, bore sighting as well, so we can get it. We like to say we can get you on paper. Um, you're still going to have to go out and fire rounds through it and really dial that in, um, but we can get you close. Um, and then That's a great segue into our next, next segment. Um, thank you so much, Reese, for joining us. People, if you want more information, stop by and talk to Reese or stop at any of the Jack's Outdoor Gear. Reese, I'm sure you've got people that are just as enthusiastic and qualified at all the stores, and we're really proud to have Jack's as a partner with us. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much. You bet. And if you've listened, to, that's why Terry Wickstrom Outdoors has partnered with Jack's Outdoors, and they've presented this segment on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We had JR waiting all this time, and now you play a great Eagle song, so i got to make him wait longer. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, which is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Let's not make him wait any longer. He always has valuable information. Let's go right to the phones where J.R. Pierce joins us from Colorado Clays. Good morning, my friend. Good morning, Terry. Hey, uh, I don't think that um, Reese could have given us a much better segue into the the Colorado Clays segment, could he? Uh, Not even... yeah, he couldn't have done any better, Terry. I agree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, we can get you on paper. Well, he can might get you on paper. I don't know if he'd get me on paper. But That's we can get you on story. paper, but then you got to go fine-tune it. And you know what? Practicing and fine-tuning your guns, knowing they're working all the hunting seasons, isn't something you should start doing two weeks before the season. You know what my motto, truly, all kidding aside, is don't get ready for hunting. Stay ready for hunting. Shoot that rifle. Shoot that shotgun off and on during the year. I try to get out and shoot at least once a month. I try to get out more than that, but I, even my schedule gets crazy at least two, three times. But if you're not if you're not on a regular basis using your firearm, you're thinking about too many ancillary parts of shooting and not concentrating on what you should be doing. And Colorado Clays really offers the options to fine-tune all that, don't you? And you're right, uh, Terry. Colorado Clays uh, is open year-round. And for 24 years now, uh, we've been offering the finest shooting opportunities for rifle, pistol, trap, skeet, wobble trap, sporting clays, shotgun patterning, and really much more. So it doesn't matter what season you're preparing for or what time of year it is. Uh, we're here with the best staff in the industry and a state-of-the-art facility that's, that's second to none, Terry. So I agree, why get ready when you can stay ready? But even if you haven't, um, we've got you covered here at Colorado Clays. Let's follow up. I want to talk about some of the shotgun things, too, but let's follow up with what Reese was talking about. You've just bought this new rifle, or you haven't shot your rifle from last year. Um, 
come in and you've got to get that scope sighted in and get comfortable with it. What are some of the things you offer? Tell us about your rifle range, and then tell us about some of the things you see people that really need to pay attention to. Well, first of all, uh, Colorado Plays has one of the finest state-of-the-art facilities for sighting in a rifle. And as I've said many times, Terry, our we have 50 and 100-yard options. On our 100-yard target, we have a video viewing system. And what that means is uh, we have a telephoto camera on the target and a monitor in your shooting bay. So as you take your shots, um, you simply look up at your monitor, make adjustments, take your next shot, and you can literally dial your rifle into zero or whatever holdover you want for the caliber and distances you're going to be shooting. Um, one thing that we do offer, and particularly right there before the rifle seasons, that I think people should take advantage of is our site in clinics. And we do those generally on a Sunday morning. We kind of start early. And those will give you help with, you know, just gun function, your fit, and your dynamics of how those all fit together. Uh, a bore sight if needed, if uh, Jax didn't get it done for you to start with. Um, scope adjustment. Um, so sometimes, as you were talking about with the clothing, as you add clothing, you also pull the gun away from your shoulder. You pull the scope away from your eye, and your scope relief can change. So those are excellent reasons um, for coming to Colorado Clays with those hunting clothes. And we'll go into breathing techniques. Um, uh, we'll do in shooting positions and rest. We'll do uh, prone sitting and standing shooting if you want to. So those are all available in the clinic, but those are also available year-round here at Colorado Clays, Terry. And uh, we do see all of these issues throughout the year. Um, gun fit, so important. Um, scope, uh, just being tightened down or boresighted before you start so you don't just throw Hail Marys out there all day. Uh, there's a lot of little things that you can learn about your gun and about yourself before that season gets here, and there's no substitute uh, for spending an hour or two in our rifle range. How important is it for me to sight in my big game rifle with the ammunition I'm going to hunt with? Well, it's absolutely critical, Terry. Um, one thing we see out here at Colorado Cave all year long is guns are sensitive to not only um, bullet drop and holdover on particular rounds, but guns are very particular about certain um, ammo manufacturers, certain muzzle velocities, certain bullet weights for their most accurate load. Uh, we can take a gun that was putting basically, you know, three bullets in a thumbnail at 100, change ammo, and have a four-inch um, group. So the you want to get the ammo decided for accuracy, and then you want to get your um, all of the holdovers and different drops at different ranges for that bullet figured out ahead of time. And that's that's where it comes in uh, so handy at Colorado Plays with our video viewing. Now, once I'm sighted in and my rifle's on, one of the mistakes I think people do is they just shoot on a bag. And they get out in the wilderness, and they're shooting on sticks, they're leaning on a tree, they're prone. How do I practice that? Well, again, Terry, we have all of those options. So the standing option I was talking about, of course, you never want to take an offhand shot if you don't have to. Uh, a lot of guys have sticks. They don't practice on them. But uh, Colorado Clays, each bay 
um, has the ability to move the bench out of the way and practice with your shooting sticks. Um, a lot of times people are going to find, and I've told you this even with our turkey patterning, um, the difference between how you hold and the sight picture and the fit of a gun changes as you go from prone sitting and standing. So you need to uh, flush out those problems early uh, versus finding out and missing an opportunity of a lifetime. So uh, we do have all those options available here at Colorado Clays, and I absolutely encourage everyone to take advantage of that. What about muzzle loaders? No, muzzle loaders are not a problem. The Colorado Clays uh, rifle range is a semi-outdoor uh, type of facility. And what that means is we actually have a, an, an, the entire structure is enclosed in concrete. The shooting area is covered. It is heated. It is lit up very well. But rather than a flat roof, we have a baffled roof. So everything downrange is natural light and airflow. So the muzzle loaders don't cause any problem at Colorado Clays. And they normally start with that 50-yard intermediate target with the muzzle loaders and then move to 100 once they've got it dialed in. So uh, we're perfectly set up for helping the muzzle loaders. Now, before I let you go, I want to change gears on you. One of my favorite shotgun uses of ammunition is coming up soon. I'm not going to say favorite hunting because I don't think I ever harvest any, and that's dove season. I need to. We need to be getting out practice. You know that I think dove season was a conspiracy by the ammo manufacturers to sell shotgun shells. But what do we do? Let's just say we got we got a little more time between upland game otherwise, and a little time between the waterfall. Um, what would you recommend if I want to come out and I'm going to be dove hunting? Well, Terry, I know you scared quite a few doves last year. I think you told me that already. But uh, here's the thing, and uh, for dove season. It doesn't matter what you uh, are going to use for a gun, this and that. A session on our pattern board to establish the points of impact, which with a shotgun is what percentage of your pattern is high, low, left, or right of your aim point. So checking that, uh, that percentage of your pattern, your pattern density and your size at a given distance is priceless in your, the first step in preparing for anything. And... Uh, even though a lot of folks think of this more as a turkey preparation, it is equally as important to have that information when you're shooting at moving targets as well. And, Terry, we've talked about this many times. It just so happens that clay target is about the size of a dove, of, of, the, uh, of the, you know, the area you want to hit on a dove. So not only is this good practice for your, your stance and your fit and your lead, your follow-through, sight picture, it's also fantastic for the fact that um, our Sporting Clays course offers uh, just an immense number of possible presentations you might in, um, you know, run into in the field. But it just so happens these targets are about the size of the bird, so it's the ultimate practice for dove season. I've heard the dove started a petition to let me hunt year-round. But... <laughs> I signed it. <laughs> hey, why don't you... Why don't you kind of wrap things up, just tell people what you have out there and how they get a hold of you. All right. Well, we are open to the public. We're open year-round, Terry. We welcome everyone to come to Colorado Clays. Um, easiest way to get a hold of us is, of course, give us a call, 303-659-7117, or go to our website at coloradoclays.com. Uh, it'll show you everything we have, uh, all of the rifle, the pistol, the shotgunning opportunities, the event possibilities, um, everything you could imagine you can do uh, with your firearm. And then, of course, take the virtual tour. 
um, see how we do it, see what our place looks like, and give us a call. All right, my friend, we'll talk to you again very soon. Okay, thank you, Terry. You bet. That's J.R. Pierce from Color Out Clays. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoors. Whether you fish, hunt, kayak, or even grill, stop by one of their five outdoor locations. They've got everything you need. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We're going to wrap things up. A couple things I want to cover real quick. One was somebody texted in. They thought we were talking about Big Soda Lake by Bear Creek, and I don't think that came up in the show. Um, There has been some closures in those areas for water recreation, like swimming. I think they're still available for fishing, but you want to check. I don't know much about Big Soda. I've never fished it, but Bear Creek, which is in the same complex, does have a good population of sawgeyes and smallmouth bass and can provide some really good fishing opportunities, both from shore or a boat. And to those same people, I think you're looking for spots around close to home to go fishing. Of course, Chatfield, Cherry Creek, Aurora have all been fishing quite well. But if you want to get away from people a little bit, especially weekdays, local ponds. I went out to some of the local ponds, uh, took my grand, one of my grandsons to one. He's five years old. He was able to cast a push-button rod by himself and catch 10 or 12 um, uh, sunfish and quite easily and it was really a step for him and those are available in most of our ponds there's some resources on parks and wildlife that'll that'll tell you about them and then i went back to that same lake myself later with just a plastic worm and played around and caught a bunch of largemouth bass so there's opportunities like that all up and down the front range you can take advantage of in addition to the lakes you hear us talk about all the time the other point i want to talk about is we had both sides of the spearfishing controversy on the show today. We had the Spearfishing Association, we had Chad Lachance giving uh, competing views on whether or not we should change the regulation. First, I want to apologize to both of them. We kind of let programming get away from us and had some longer breaks. I had intended to give both sides more time, and I think both sides deserve you to do a little research on what the regulations are that are being uh, uh, presented and taking a view, and then you need to contact Parks and Wildlife and let them know your feelings. Uh, I haven't stated a stance yet, but I will now. Personally, I'm very skeptical, and I'm against probably expanding use for spearfishing in a state that has such limited water when we have no biological evidence to tell us whether they're going to impact, how they're going to impact our waters. Until we at least have that, I don't think we should expand it at all. I think there are quite a few opportunities for spearfishing in Colorado as it exists, and to change that regulation that would affect that could potentially affect millions of anglers. And if you damage the broodstock in one small lake, it can take decades to recover. That's my feeling, but I'm certainly not the expert on it. You need to do research and then contact Parks and Wildlife. Speaking of research, I think Dan Jacobs is in the studio. And Mr. Jacobs, you've had enough time off. You've probably been doing a ton of research. Oh, yes, absolutely. I was re- uh, researching the robo-duck. That's the new controversy I assume you guys will be talking about next week. Uh, do you have an opinion on the robo-duck? Is that fair or is that, uh, is that uh, going too far? I don't even know about it. The robo-duck, the decoy? Oh, the duck's decoys? Yeah. I, you know what? If you've seen me shoot a shotgun, you'd know that ducks and doves and pheasants aren't afraid of anything I do. Yeah. So no, a, I, a rifle or a handgun is a different story. I can shoot. 
Yeah. But a shotgun, I don't shoot enough anymore. So the doves actually encourage me to go hunting because they it gives them a good time. Yeah, absolutely. So, hey, I was at yeah. uh, I went to Ogallala a couple weeks ago to kind of just get away a little bit. I didn't go to Lake Mac, uh, which I know is a very avid outdoor place, but um, was in that area. Did uh, went to a little farmers market and things like that, just trying to get away a little bit and still be kind of socially distanced. So I'd never been so happy to be in Nebraska, Terry. Yeah. <laughs> you, did you get to see their tree? What do you mean their tree? The one tree yeah, in Nebraska? Well, they have a, yeah, I think they have one anyway. Yeah. Now, Ogallala and Big Mac are beautiful areas, really, in the summer, and there's a lot of great recreation there. I do have a uh, a question that I know I'm sure you're, it's going to come up over and over again, but how confident are you that they're going to pull off this NFL season, and how is COVID going to affect it? Well, the NFL, I'm fairly confident now what i'm not confident about which we will talk about on the show and i'm gonna throw a fireball at dmac for his baby tantrum he threw yesterday i'm not so certain about college football even though they're trying to put together cobble together some rules here kind of at the last minute um nfl i think they're gonna try and find a way to get through it college football i'm just not so sure yeah, and the Big Ten and the Pac-10 have already canceled non-conference games. How would you like to be Notre Dame? You're not in a conference. Well, they are. They're they're in the ACC sort of for football, so I'm sure they'll still play their ACC games. Yeah, but you're probably right there, I guess. But it's going to be interesting. Well, my friend, I tell you what, I'm going to close things up, and then people, you can uh, tell people all about it. You've been listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Join us every Saturday from 9 to 11. We cover fishing, hunting, camping, outdoor activities. We want to get you out there. Next week, we're going to have Nine News come on with us at 9 o'clock, and we're going to talk lightning safety. That is incredibly important here in Colorado. You don't want to miss that. That's 9 o'clock next Saturday. If you ever do miss an episode, we podcast a lot. On uh, right on the fan itself at 1043thefan.com, but also my Facebook page. I post a lot of the podcasts, and we also give you references to our YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. So follow that. Join us on Facebook at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. We'll let the eagle take us to the top of the hour in Dan Jacobs and Sports. Revolution, baby.